The last mission of the Masechta discusses whether Shmuel Hanovi was a Nazir or not. Shmuel Hanovi was the Novi, the prophet who lived during the lifetime of David HaMelech. And according to the first opinion in our Mishnah, Nazir Shmuel Kedivim Nehoi. According to Rabbi Nehoi, Shmuel was indeed a Nazir. Shnema, as the Pazuk says, when Shmuel's mother, Chanah, came to the Beis Hamikdosh to daven and ask Hashem for a child. She declares to Hashem that she will dedicate her son's life to Hashem. And she adds, Which Rabbi Nehoi translates to mean that a razor will not go up on his head. Meaning he won't shave his hair at all because he is a Nazir. Neymar umayra, b'shimshan umayra. The Pasuk regarding Shimshon Hagibar says the word Umayra, and over there it certainly does mean a razor. Makes sense, because Shimshon Hagibar was a Nazir. And it uses that same word in the above Pasuk when it's talking about Shmuel Hanovi. So Ma Shimshon Nazir, just like the word Meira, which is said about Shimshon Hagibar, refers to the fact that he was a Nazir and a razor couldn't go on his head. He couldn't shave his hair. Af Meiroham Rabbi Shmuel. So to the word Meiro, which is said it regarding Shmuel. Nazir, that is to say that he was a Nazir. On Rabbi Yaisi, Rabbi Yaisi said, The Meiro in this Pasuk only refers to the fear of people. It says, This was part of Chanoz Tefillah, that no fear of another person should be upon him, upon his head. Meaning he shouldn't have to be afraid of anybody. That's an alternative way of translating the Pasuk. And so contrary to Yaisi, he was not a Nazir at all. Omar al-Rabi Nehirai, Yerin Nehirai, said to Rabbi Yaisi, But surely the Pazgah already says, And Shmuel said, How will I go? Shaul will hear, and he will kill me. We can see in the Pesukim that Shekvahar of Moshe Bosvedom, that there was fear of people upon him, and he was afraid of people. So it can't be that that is the explanation of the Pasuk, and therefore it must mean a razor, and indeed Shmuel was a Nazir. Now what difference does it make, practically speaking, if Shmuel was a Nazir or not? The answer is there's a big difference. If somebody declares that he's going to be like Shmuel Hanavi, or he's going to grow his hair like Shmuel, so if Shmuel was a Nazir, then this person would now be a Nazir. If not, then he would not be a Nazir. Msechasaita, the subject matter of this msechta is when a woman who is married to somebody commits adultery. Or at least she's accused of committing adultery. And what exactly is the process which needs to be gone through when this happens, when she is accused of having relations with another man other than her husband? Now it's important to differentiate between a Saito Vadai and a Saito Sophic. The Soto Vada is somebody, a woman who is assumed to have definitely committed adultery. For example, if there are two witnesses who saw this and they testified that she committed adultery, so she would be considered a Soto Vada. And it's an obligation for her husband to divorce her. She loses the right to her kasuba, which is a certain amount of money which she would generally get upon being divorced. But since in this situation she is being divorced because of something that she did, pro- which was prohibited, so she loses her rights to the kasuba. And that is a soto vadai. The for the most part of our masechta, we're going to discuss not a soto vadai, but a soto sophic. A Sotosophic is a woman who is accused of having committed adultery, and when that happens, her husband takes her up to the Beis HaMikdosh, and there the Kurnim give her a solution of water, into which is mixed a piece of parchment with Hashem's name on, and we'll see more details later on in the Masechta, and she drinks that, and if indeed she was guilty, then the Torah describes already how she would bloat 
her stomach would grow bigger and bigger and she would sort of blow up and burst open and she would die in this horrible manner if indeed she was guilty. Now, if she admits that she committed adultery, then she wouldn't drink this solution. It's only if she insists that she is innocent that she would have to drink this. Now, in order for her husband to take her up to the base Amikdash and get her to drink this solution, two things must have taken place. Firstly, Kinui. Kinui refers to when her husband warns her not to be alone with a particular man. So he suspects her of wanting to go with another man. So he warns her in front of witnesses that she should not be alone with that man. If indeed she is seen by witnesses to have been alone with this man, that is known as Stira, where she is alone with that man. So once those two things have taken place, then the husband can take her up to the base of Mikdash and go through this whole process. Now one more note before we begin the Mishnah, is that a Sotosophic, once she has had Kinoy and Stira, and she has not yet drank the solution in the Beis HaMikdash, she is not only forbidden to have relations with her husband, but she is also forbidden to eat Truma. Truma is something which only Kernim are allowed to eat, and a woman who has had illegal relations is forbidden to eat Truma. So before she has drank that water, she's suspected of being a Zaina, a woman who has had legal relations, and therefore she would be forbidden to eat Truma. Says Mishnah, one who does kinui with his wife. He warns her, don't be alone with a particular man. Rebeliezer says, He must warn her, he must do the kinui in front of two witnesses, and then he can actually force her to drink the solution by the testimony of even one witness. If after giving her kinui in front of two witnesses, she is then seen to have been alone with this man by one witness, that is enough, since we already have this basis that he's given her kinui, and that was in front of two witnesses, so even if one witness sees that she violated the kinui, that is enough, and he would be believed, and the husband would be able to feed her that solution. And even al piatzmai, even by the testimony of himself, if there was no other witness, just the husband saw her being alone with that man, even that is sufficient to allow him to force her to drink that solution. On the other hand, Rabbi Yeshua, Rabbi Yeshua says, He needs to do the kinui in front of two witnesses, and he can only give her the water, the solution to drink, after two witnesses testify that she was seen alone with that other man. Now, it should be noted that according to everybody, if the witness saw her after she had received kinui from two witnesses, if one witness saw her actually have relations with this other man, not just be alone with him, but have relations with him, then according to everybody, one witness is enough. The question is, what happens if that one witness only saw her being alone with the man? So Eliezer learns from the Pasukim that the law is the same as in the case where the witness saw her actually have relations, whereas Yeshua learns that it is not the same, and that just like in most cases, when witnesses are required, two witnesses are needed, or he would not be able to force her to drink that solution. How would he give the kinui to his wife? He would say in front of two witnesses, If he said to her, don't talk to so-and-so, a particular man. And then later on, she went against this warning and she spoke to that man. Says the Mishnah, She is still permitted to her house, meaning to her husband. They can continue having relations with each other and she is permitted to continue eating truma. Reason being that this is not considered to be real kinui. Kinui is to tell her not to be alone with a particular man. But if all she s- he says is don't speak to that man, that is not considered kinui, and therefore 
if she then speaks to him, or even if she's seen alone with him, there was no kinui, and therefore the stira is irrelevant. However, if, now you have to add a little line to the Mishnah, if he did give her a kinui, and he told her not to be alone with a particular man, and she went and entered into a place where she was alone, with that man. So now we have a kinui and a stira. So if she waited and she was alone with him for enough time that they would have to have relations with each other, then she is forbidden to have relations with her husband and she is forbidden to eat truma until she goes through this whole process of drinking the solution in the Beis HaMikdash. As well as that, there is a mitzvah in a case where somebody dies after marrying a woman, but he died without children. The law is that there is a mitzvah upon that man's brother to marry the dead man's wife, the widow. That's known as yibum, and if he doesn't want to marry her for whatever reason, or he's not able to marry her, then he would do what is known as chalitza which is a process which they do in based in, in order to allow her to marry somebody else and not to perform yibum with her previous husband's brother. Now the Mishnah says in this case of Emes, if he dies, the husband dies before managing to take her up to the base of Mikdosh and for her to drink the water, and let's say they didn't have any children and he has a brother, the brother is not able to perform yibum. Rather, Chaylet says, Velo She would need to do chalitza with him and not yibum. And this is learned from Pesukim, that if she was forbidden to have relations with her husband when he was alive, then there is no mitzvah of yibum. Only if she was permitted to have relations with her husband, and then her husband dies, so then she can go and marry her husband's brother. But if she was forbidden to even have relations with her husband, then there is no mitzvah of yibum, rather there is only a mitzvah of chalitza. Mr. Gimel, as you mentioned, a Satosophic, who is a woman who has gone through kinui and stira, she becomes forbidden to have relations with her husband or to eat truma until she drinks the solution in the Beis HaMikdosh. The Elu, the following women, are forbidden to eat truma forever, meaning their prohibition remains, and they'll be forbidden to eat truma forever. For example, if the woman who has gone through Kenyan stira states that she is indeed impure, she admits to having committed adultery. If she does so after having gone through Kinu and Stira, then she is believed, and she is considered to be a Zoyna, a woman who has had illegal relations, and therefore forbidden to eat Truma. Or if witnesses testify that she had adultery, meaning there were witnesses who actually saw the relations themselves. Thirdly, if she says, I'm not going to drink the solution, so she's forbidden until she drinks the solution, so she's forbid- if she refuses to drink the solution, if she refuses to drink that water in the Besamikdash, then she would be forbidden forever. Or if her husband does not want to make her drink this water solution, the law is that he needs to be the one who brings her to the Besamikdash and who makes her drink the water. So if he doesn't want to do that, then she would be forbidden to eat truma. She would also be forbidden for her husband. They wouldn't be able to have relations, but she would remain forbidden to eat truma. Or, if her husband had relations with her on the way to the Beis HaMikdosh, meaning in between the time where she had Kinu and Stira, and the time that she went to the Beis HaMikdosh and drank the water solution, her husband had relations with her. In such a case, the water solution won't actually work. She wouldn't actually drink the water, because the water would not work, and even if she was guilty, she wouldn't end up blowing up. And this is learned from the Posuk, which says, The man, her husband, is innocent from sin. 
and that woman will bear her sin. And we learn from the, that pasuk that only in a time where her husband is totally innocent and he has never had illegal relations, only then would she bear the consequence of her actions and blow up by drinking that water solution. But in a case where he had had illegal relations, for example, by having relations with her on the way, after she had had Kinu and Stira, so then the water wouldn't even work, so he still wouldn't know if she had had illegal relations or not, and therefore she would remain forbidden to eat truma. Now, the second half of this Mishnah goes through the first step of the process of taking a soita to the Beisamikdash. And this is really the focus until the end of the third parak of the Masechta, although in the middle we do get quite sidetracked. But the main focus of the next three parakim, really, is to describe the process which was gone through. Ketad Osala, how would he behave towards her? What would he do with his wife after she has gone through Kinui and Stira? He would bring her to the basin in that location where they live, and the basin would listen and see if there is sufficient testimony regarding the kinui and stira. And if indeed she was found to have gone through the kinui and stira, so she is now considered a sotosophic, and her husband needs to take her to, take her to the Besamekdosh. So the Mishnah says that this local base then would give over to her husband two two righteous people, people who know the laws of Saita, and they would accompany them on the way to the Besamekdosh, in case her husband will have relations with her on the way. And the function of these two people was firstly to warn the husband not to do so, and secondly, if he did do so, these two people would be able to testify that he had relations with her and therefore she wouldn't drink the solution of water and she would be forbidden to eat truma forever, as we just learned in the first half of the Mishnah. Rabbi Yehuda and Rabbi Yehuda says, Her husband is trusted regarding her, meaning we don't, we don't need to send with them to other people. He knows that it's forbidden for him to have relations. And according to Rabbi Yehuda, we believe him. If he says that he didn't have relations with her, then we believe him. So you don't need these two Tumid Chachomim to testify about this.